The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Whole Healthy Living with your host, Sharon Brennan. Our show will provide the expert information you need to clean up your body and environment to live a vibrant life. You'll learn about harmful toxins, detoxification, proper nutrition, and much more. Learn how you can live clean in our toxic world. Now, here is Sharon Brennan. Hi, welcome back to Whole Healthy Living, clean living in a toxic world. I'm your host, Sharon Brennan holistic health coach and nutritionist. Today, I have Dr. Stephanie Seneff joining me to talk about glyphosate, otherwise known as Roundup. Dr. Seneff is a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She has degrees from MIT in both biology and computer science. Her recent interests have focused on the role of toxic chemicals and micronutrient deficiencies in health. She has published 20 peer-reviewed journal papers over the past few years on these topics and has delivered numerous slide presentations around the world. Welcome, Dr. Seneff. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, wow. Computer science, artificial intelligence to studying toxic chemicals and micronutrient deficiencies. How does that happen? kind of amazing, isn't it? It really is. It, it really is a personal story because eight years ago, my husband was diagnosed with heart disease quite by surprise. And, um, and he was, um, you know, the scent was inserted. He was given a high dose statin. And um, I didn't know much about heart disease before that, but I became an expert very quickly and also an expert on statin drugs. And that took me down into a rabbit hole, basically. And uh, I eventually was able to transition my research at MIT to work full time in this area, and it was sort of a natural transition because I, uh, my work involves uh, using natural language techniques to process uh, computer science techniques to process natural language and to get information out of natural English. And so I was able to just use those skills to uh, switch over to a biology medical domain and process research literature. So I'm able to make use of my computer science skills to help me digest and interpret the vast literature that exists in both medicine and biology, um, very broad space to try to make sense out of what's going on with our health. Because I quickly realized that the problem was much, much bigger than my husband's heart disease. Um, In parallel, I was interested in autism, and I was worried about the increased risk rates of autism that were showing up back, this was eight years ago, Um, and so I also studied autism in parallel with studying heart disease, and the two actually converged on the same story, which was quite remarkable. Wow. So why have you devoted the last three years to studying glyphosate? Right. So I was, I was researching autism for five years, uh, knowing that it had to be some kind of toxic exposure in the environment that was causing the epidemic, because epidemics are not caused by genetic defects. Genetics doesn't happen that fast. And I was frustrated because I had looked at a number of different toxic uh, chemicals that the kids are exposed to, especially there's many things in the vaccines, but also, um, you know, lead and and fluoride and all of these things. And none of them was explaining what I was seeing in terms of the pathology. So I came into a a meeting, uh, a conference, quite uh, frustrated at that point with the autism situation and heard a two-hour presentation by Professor Don Huber, who's a retired uh, expert in plant physiology and plant pathology from Purdue University. And Don Huber gave a, an amazing lecture, and I was at the edge of my seat because it was clear to me that the pathologies he was describing that were linked to glyphosate were the same ones that I was frustrated because I couldn't explain what was causing them in autism. And I walked away from that meeting deciding that I was going to learn everything I could about glyphosate, and that's what I've done over the past. That was only a little over three years ago, so it's been a very intense three years in which I have really, really focused on Understanding wow. glyphosate. 
How much time do you put into this? Is it like a full-time eight hours it's a day? It's more than or? a full-hour job. It's around the clock every day of the week. I don't make any distinction between Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. It's all the same for me. I get up in the morning and I study every day, you know, and I'm, I'm either analyzing data on the computer or reading articles or writing articles or giving things, doing things like this. I mean, I am so devoted. It's I, I hardly do anything else. You know, there's a little bit of personal life in there, but it's it's bits and pieces. And so all the peer-reviewed journal papers, are they on gly- glyphosate? Many of them are. I do have some on the vaccines, and I have some on cholesterol sulfate, which is my... Uh, which is a very fascinating molecule that I have come to really respect. So cholesterol sulfate, I think, is a very, very important molecule of health and uh, that's, that's deficient in the modern environment and causing a lot of troubles for that reason. Wow. What is the, what, what is, can you explain to everybody what is glyphosate and why is it such a concern to our health? Right, so glyphosate is actually a, a word that um, most people probably don't know, and I have to admit that I didn't know the word until I heard the talk from Don Huber, so that's quite amazing to me because now it's, I'm so comfortable with this word. But it is the active ingredient in the pervasive herbicide Roundup that I think people are much more familiar with. You go down to the hardware store and you buy Roundup and you kill the weeds in your walkway using Roundup. It's supposed to be non-toxic to humans. It's supposed to be a wonderful herbicide because it kills essentially all the weeds, all plants pretty much, except for the ones that have been engineered to resist it. And this is the trick that they've used phenomenally successfully, unfortunately, in, in uh, plants, to in the core crops. They've managed to insert a bacterial gene. This is the GMO engineering. They insert a special bacterial gene into the crop's DNA, and that gene gives that crop resistance against Roundup. So the crop can be sprayed with Roundup and it won't die. Um, all the weeds, of course, die, and so it's a very efficient way to do farming because you no longer have to actually pull the weeds. You just kill them with the poison. And the crop happily soaks it up and doesn't die, and it gets into the food. And that's not a problem either because the, the chemical is non-toxic to humans, and we don't care how much is in the food, and we don't measure it. We don't, we don't ask, we don't tell, we don't care. A huge mistake because it's not true that it's non-toxic to humans. That's the big hooker that's causing a huge problem in our health, not just autism and heart disease, but many, many other of our uh, diseases that are going up alarmingly in the past two decades are going up in exactly in step with the increased use of glyphosate. So what's happened is that um, the weeds have gotten clever. So as they use Roundup on these uh, engineered crops, uh, every year the weeds become more resistant, so it takes more glyphosate to kill them. And so every year they use more and more. And they've actually gotten to a crisis point now where they've, in, they've put, put together this new product called Endless Duo, which has glyphosate augmented with another herbicide, 2,4-D, which is a component of Agent Orange. And the government was, you know, initially just fine with that, no problem, just go ahead and add this additional chemical. Usually these herbicides are synergistically toxic, so I was really surprised the government was so relaxed about this new development, and I don't know what else is going to happen to our health once we've got both of these uh, in our in our food together. It's so scary. It really is. I um, agree. <laughs> I know. Most people know formaldehyde is a very dangerous chemical, so why would they even use that in GMO corn? They don't, actually. It's not that they put formaldehyde into the corn. It's that the corn produces formaldehyde. It produces it, um, I think, as a consequence of being exposed to glyphosate. Glyphosate really messes up the metabolism of the crops, and so it changes uh, the the substances that are in the crops. It's going to mess up, for example, um, it's going to prevent the production of a lot of really, really important nutrients that will not be uh, adequately produced by the plant because of the exposure to glyphosate because it's messing up its physiology. Um, it, the key thing that it does is to disrupt the synthesis of a, of a set of um, amino acids that are essential, meaning that our own body, can, our cells don't know how to make this, these amino acids. So we rely upon our food and our gut microbes to produce these amino acids for us. There's three of them. And these amino acids are really, really important because they're precursors to a lot of extremely critical um, bioactive molecules in our body, like the neurotransmitters, serotonin and melatonin and melanin, the skin, the skin tanning agent, thyroid hormone, folate, which is vitamin, a vitamin B, B vitamin, 
and um, K, vitamin K12. I mean, a lot of uh, NADPH, which is a really which is a really important antioxidant agent. So all these things are disrupted by the exposure to glyphosate in the microbes in our gut and in the foods, which means that they become deficient in our bodies, and that's part of how glyphosate harms our health. Wow. I'm really, this is fascinating. I didn't know all this. Um, explain to me how the uh, Roundup uh, kills the weeds and, um, you know, what exactly takes place and explain how it kills the weeds. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, so I mentioned this uh, pathway. It's called the shikimate pathway, which is a really, really, really important pathway in plants and in microbes, as I said. Humans don't have this pathway. This is why one of the reasons why Monsanto says this, this thing is great, because we don't have the, path, the, the biological pathway that it disrupts, and therefore it can't harm us. It's not, a, it's not a fair argument. And for one thing, as I said, the microbes have the pathway. They use the pathway to produce these essential nutrients that we can't make. Our cells can't make them because they don't have that pathway, so it's very clear. And um, not only that, but glyphosate also chelates minerals, so it, it builds a cage around really, really important um, atoms. These are, um, you know, um, minerals like um, manganese, magnesium, cobalt, iron, selenium. These are all sort of what they call plus-two cations in technical term. But these things are really, really uh, crucial to catalyze enzymatic action. So many, many enzymes in biology don't work unless they have access to these minerals, which are being made unavailable because glyphosate is building a cage around them. And at the same time, glyphosate builds a cage also around things like aluminum, which are really toxic, and and, um, arsenic. But um, And that would be fine. You'd say, well, it makes it unavailable. That's great. But what happens is that glyphosate carries these um, these atoms to the terminal areas of the blood where it's very acidic. So in an acidic environment, glyphosate lets go. So what happens is, for example, glyphosate carries um, arsenic to the kidneys and then unloads it. And in the kidneys, the glyphosate and the arsenic suddenly become really toxic to the kidneys. And we have a major crisis right now in kidney failure. So many people are on dialysis. Uh, it's going Kidney failure is going up in step with the use of glyphosate on corn and soy crops, and kidney failure has been identified in countries like Sri Lanka and in Central America uh, among agricultural workers who are exposed to glyphosate in the fields. uh, Sri Lanka actually recently, the government banned all use of glyphosate under any circumstances within that country as a consequence of the evidence that was so strong to link glyphosate to the kidney failure they were seeing in young agricultural workers. Amazing. Glyphosate studies done on animals were restricted to three months. Why aren't there any long-term studies? Um, Great question. And in fact, um, uh, it turns out that it's not true. There actually were long-term studies, and I didn't know this until recently. Anthony Sample and I have written uh, four papers together. We're working on a fifth one now. Uh, The most recent one is just coming out now. It's on glyphosate and cancer. And Anthony, Anthony's a brilliant man. He's a uh, very interesting person. Uh, he's a um, retired um, expert in chemistry and has many patents to his name. And he works, uh, he has an organic uh, farm that he, he, where he grows his own food. And he's doing a lot of uh, study. He, he's, he works as a consultant on various toxic sites to identify the various problems. But he's passionate, like myself, about the dangers of glyphosate. And we've had a lot of fun collaborating because he's helping me to figure all this stuff out. He really knows chemistry. Um, and where was I going with that? I lost the question. Yes, so he was able to get the EPA to deliver him a huge pile of documents from the early studies that were done by Monsanto or commissioned by Monsanto, uh, where they did some actually really interesting studies that got some alarming results, and um, they, including long-term studies. So they did full lifetime studies on both rats and mice, and they found uh, lots of evidence of various cancers and uh, other kinds of uh, damage to tissues in different uh, organs, uh, particularly in the glands of these animals. And um, those studies, uh, they, they especially found uh, surprisingly high levels of cancer in extremely low-dose uh, low exposure. 
so both long-term and low-dose, right? So what they did from that point on, first of all, they had these studies labeled secret so that nobody could see them. And the EPA, uh, it took Anthony quite a lot of effort to get the EPA to let him see them, and he was required to sign something that he would not show them. He would not share them with anybody, so I have not seen these studies. But um, they labeled them secret, and they decided never again to do either long-term studies or low-dose studies. So all their studies are higher doses. And what is interesting about glyphosate, and is true, of chemicals in its class, which is that glyphosate is an endocrine disruptor, and endocrine disruptors have the peculiar property that they are actually more toxic at small doses than they are at larger doses. And this is what Monsanto saw in their studies. So what they did in the future was they, oh, and they actually made a rule that you only need to show toxicology and toxic effects over three months. You know, once you've gone for three months, that's good enough. And so since that time, they've never done long-term studies. The only exception is Seralini, who, of course, was not funded by Monsanto, and he did long-term studies on rats where he showed, and he wasn't specifically looking for cancer, but he found massive mammary tumors and uh, kidney cancer um, in the in the male rats, mammary tumors in the females, um, damage, clear damage to the liver and kidney uh, in long-term studies. But he didn't see anything after three months. Three months, everything looked fine. It wasn't until four months that he started to see problems. Wow. How long-term were his studies? This study was published, well, it was published, I think, in 2012, and then it was, there was a lot of um, pushback, and it, the, the industry managed to get it retracted. And then uh, it was republished in another journal. And um, recently, he's actually won a lawsuit against them where they had, I think, used someone's uh, name falsely without his approval to try to discredit Seralini. So there's been a big, you know, the, the industry it w- really works hard to discredit anybody who dares to stand up to them is what it comes down to. That's too bad. I just find this, I, I'm awestruck, I really am. It, it's it's just very hard to process. Um, anyhow, uh, I understand that eating organic food may not be the answer either. Um, we're going to take a short break here in a minute, but when we get back, I want you to explain how it's affecting the organic crops. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we're going to actually pause and take a short break here, and we'll be right back. Victory Nutrition International is a company that developed with the vision of truly transforming lives. Our liquid, multivitamin, and mineral is unlike any other on the market today. Designed by seasoned professionals using the latest proprietary technology, it is the only supplement that delivers more than 100% nutrition directly into your cells and changes cells in just five minutes. Most of us are not consuming the nutrition we need, which contributes to degeneration, deterioration, decay, premature aging, and disease. Please visit vnilife.com forward slash whole healthy living and order your sample today. The Weston A. Price Foundation provides accurate information on nutrition and health. Find out why butter is a health food. What's wrong with modern soy products? and why good health is found in the wise food traditions of our ancestors. Visit our informative and fascinating website at www.westonaprice.com. You are tuned in to Whole Healthy Living with Sharon Brennan. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to wholehealthylivingradio at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Okay, Stephanie. So as I was saying before the break, I understand that eating organic food may not be the answer. Explain how the... Uh, glyphosate is affecting our crops. Right. Well, I do think organic food is part of the answer. And in fact, my husband and I practice in ex- as much as possible a 100% certified organic diet. And when we go grocery shopping, we try to buy everything we buy is organic, including um, 
wine and beer and uh, spices, you know, everything that we uh, cook with is organic. And I think uh, it has been shown that organic food contains less glyphosate, but it has not been shown that there's none. So the organic food has tested positive for glyphosate. And I think the reason might be, I mean, it's just basically glyphosate is everywhere. It's in the water. Uh, it's going to be in the manure, and I don't think uh, there's a requirement that organic food uses organic manure. So they could be getting manure from the CAFOs, the confined animal operating, uh, confined, uh, what is it, CAFO, con- con- confined animal feeding operations, sorry, <laughs> CAFOs. Mm-hmm. Um, those animals are being fed GMO, Roundup, ready corn, and soy. And so they're going to be, uh, they're going to have Roundup in their manure, which is being used as an organic uh, you know, fertilizer for the organic food. So that's a problem. And also there's in the water, for example, um, a study was done, I believe, in Kentucky where they found something on the order of 80% of the water that was tested from the rain, the rainfall, was gly- uh, glyphosate contaminated. So it's really pretty much all over our environment. It's very difficult to avoid. Even just avoiding it in the food, you're still going to get it in the water and probably different amounts in different parts of the country, so depending upon where you live. Well, so it's it's almost as if you can't even avoid it. <laughs> no, the only way we're going to be able to avoid it is to ban it, and this is what I promote. I really think we don't we don't need to just ban glyphosate. We need to ban the entire method of chemical based farming. I think we need to go back to organic, sustainable farming. And in fact, what's happening is every so glyphosate kills microbes. That means it kills microbes in the soil as well as the microbes in the gut. The soil is kind of like the gut of the plant. And so when the microbes are disrupted in the soil, that's going to hurt the plants. And what happens then is that the plants become more susceptible to disease, for example, for fungus. There's a huge problem with fungus infection mm. in both plants and animals. You know, we have the, um, the bats have a, a fungus problem with their nose uh, in the, uh, in, starting in New England. I mean, I haven't seen a bat for a long time in New England, and we used to see them routinely at night when I was a child. The bats would be flying. They're basically disappearing because of this fungus infection in their nose. And the bees, uh, the bees uh, problem, you know, the bee die-off, bee colony collapse syndrome is also linked to a fungus infection. But what's really happening is that glyphosate, uh, and as I said, fungus infection in the crops, you know, so there's a really serious fungus that infects the corn that has, and it produces a lot of toxins. These are natural toxins that are really, really bad, uh, can cause a lot of damage to humans and, and any animal that eats the uh, eats the fungus. So, um, glyphosate sets up the plant and the animal to be susceptible to fungus. And as a consequence, then they have to use a lot of fungicides as well. So you've got, you've got the herbicides, the fungicides, the insecticides to, to kill the insects, which, of course, the insecticides are killing the bats. The insects, eating the insects is killing the bats, and the insects are contaminated with all these toxic chemicals. The bats actually are really good. Uh, they eat tons of insects every day. So when you kill off the bats, you're going to make the insect problem worse. So it's just like a cascade of, of catastrophe. The whole method is just not found. Is not doesn't have a foundation. It's just going to get worse and worse every year uh, until we basically kill off, you know, all life on the planet. I mean, that's where we're headed. It's just so stupid to just the concept that you would put poison on your food is just asinine, in my opinion. So what I know. We need how, to do, how did that even come about? Like I how, know. It's just, how do it, companies I mean, like Monsanto, you know, even get I into think, existence? I think, you know, after the war, like, for example, after the war in, in Vietnam, you have 2,4-D, you know, that's a, a component of Agent Orange, which was used extensively in the war, and Monsanto, of course, produced it. I think Monsanto produced it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure about that, so I won't, don't quote me on that one. I'll have mm. to check that fact. Um, but 2,4-D is... Um, uh, was was one of the early. Uh, what they found was, you know, they've got all this. They have the ability to make these poisons. What can we use it for now that the war is over? And basically, this idea of killing the weeds with these poisons uh, caught on. And once it became sort of an easier way to do farming, and actually, I think it's caused. Uh, it's gone in parallel with the industrial revolution. You know, because in America, we have very few, very small percentage. I think it's under five percent of the people in this country are actually farmers. So you can have these massive farms where the farmer just flies over in the airplane and sprays the crop. It's much, much easier to grow crops. So that makes the food cheaper, too. Americans eat apparently have the cheapest food in the world on a per capita basis. How much money we spend, what percentage of our income we spend on food is smaller than any other country. And we have by far the, the largest health care costs 
of any country in the world. Those two are connected because we're eating toxic food and we're getting mm-hmm. sick. Mm-hmm. I'm learning so much. Anyhow, uh, sulfate, or I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to skip ahead to that, but um, what can consumers do to try to get get this deadly chemical out of our food chain? Do you have any advice as to... Right. Well, I strongly encourage everybody who can afford it to go organic. And you certainly want to avoid the GMO Roundup Ready crops. That's going to be corn, soy, canola oil, alfalfa, sugar beets, which is a lot of the sugar in this country comes from sugar beets, um, and then also cotton and tobacco. So cotton is another issue. They've recently done tests of cotton products, even sterile gauze, and found glyphosate in the cotton products, including tampons, which you can think about that with respect to Mm. women's health. You know, it's very scary to me. I mean, now people have to start buying organic tampons, in my opinion. And um, so it's, and of course, tobacco means that it's in cigarettes, you know. And so I actually suspect that a lot of the toxicity of cigarettes has to do with the toxic chemicals that are in the cigarettes. And you never hear that discussed. You know, they always think of tobacco being toxic. But when you smoke tobacco, you're smoking glyphosate. And that cannot be good for your lungs. You know, and we certainly have a lot of issues right now with asthma and COPD. Um, exposure of um, the lungs to glyphosate is uh, going to cause a lot of damage to the lungs. So those are the crops. Um, and then there's also the crops that are sprayed with glyphosate right before the harvest, and that includes wheat and sugarcane. So these are really core crops of the processed food industry. So pretty much, I mean, if you buy a soy protein bar, or uh, any kind of soy drink, I mean, anything soy, you're going to be in trouble, and anything corn-based, so corn chips, you know, and um, potato chips are not, they don't use glyphosate on potatoes, but they use a lot of other uh, toxic uh, pesticides. So it's very difficult, I think, to get, um, to eat uh, healthy food without eating organic food. Mm. I firmly believe that based on all the toxins we're slammed with every day, we should detoxify regularly like four times a year as the seasons change. What Would a good detox get rid of glyphosate in the body? Yeah, that's a good question, and, and, I, and people are still struggling with the answer. Um, one of the, um, I, I, there, I found a paper that was quite interesting that was written about uh, cows where they, ha- they were having, and they have, are having a lot of health issues, as you might imagine, with the cows on, in the CAFOs. The cows are being fed GMO, Roundup Ready corn and soy feed, so they're getting really doused with glyphosate, and it's making them sick. And this study showed, they first of all, they verified that these cows were sick and that these cows had glyphosate in their urine. They tested their urine, tested positive for glyphosate. And then I think they must have evolved this procedure through trial and error, but what they talked about in this paper were some specific things that I would never have thought of, which were fulvic acid and humic acid, which are organic matter from the soil, and... Um, sauerkraut juice, which I suspect is going to have tons and tons of probiotics in it. And probiotics are really, really important for renewing your gut bacteria. So certainly if you're, if you're having trouble with bloating and diarrhea or constipation, that's all indications. Of course, irritable bowel indications that your gut microbes are in trouble. And so what you need to do is to switch to an organic diet and then get probiotics, and, and I don't, I mean, I suspect probably probiotic pills are good, but I like to do everything naturally if I can, so that would be sauerkraut, sour cream, um, yogurt, you know, so all these kind of naturally fermented products, cheese, these are all good things um, that can help to renew your gut microbes, and um, and then there's also bentonite clay was another thing that's been mentioned in the animal husbandry community. Um, these are all things, I think, that can kind of get the glyphosate out. So they gave these cows in this study uh, these items, this sauerkraut juice and the uh, fulvic acid, humic acid, and they showed that, uh, first of all, the cows got better, their health improved, and the glyphosate in the urine fell, the level fell. So they were showing uh, indications that this was working. Um, I've also heard zeolite uh, recommended as a, uh, a way to get rid of glyphosate. What did you say? Zeolite, Z-E-O-L-I-T-E, which I think is uh, aluminum um, silicate. And that worries me because aluminum is very, very toxic. So you're sort of trading one toxin for another if you do that. So I'm I'm hesitant to recommend that. Mm -hmm. 
It seems there are so many different slants on the common conditions that plague our society today. Autism, obesity, ADD, ADHD, thyroid, health, mental health, you know, whatever you can think of. Some say immunizations and vaccines are the wrecking ball. Others say poor nutrition. Now we're talking glyphosate. Would it be safe to say that each of the, you know, each of these are a form of toxicity and may not necessarily be glyphosate? Right. Glyphosate is working synergistically with a bunch of other problems to cause uh, poor health. And, um, and certainly the food is less nutritious than it used to be. Uh, and, and in part, that's because the soil has been depleted. And, of course, glyphosate's chelation of these minerals means that they don't go into the plants. So the plants are going to have less iron, less magnesium. You know, all of these really important micronutrients are going to be depleted in the foods that are derived from the plants that are exposed to glyphosate. Um, the vaccines are very interesting. And, in fact, I studied vaccines uh, quite a bit uh, before I got switched over to glyphosate and um and then even after I switched over to glyphosate, I came to the realization that glyphosate is going to make the vaccines much more toxic than they would otherwise be. And I think that's why, and in fact, my studies uh, at MIT where I'm comparing, I'm looking at the uh, a database that the uh, U.S. government maintains called the VARS database, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, very interesting database with thousands of entries of um, of, a, of adverse events. Some person got a vaccine and had a bad reaction and they wrote it up and uh, put it into this database. Uh, if you look at the events uh, in recent times and you compare them with the earlier events before, say, 2000, so they have the, the data goes from 1990 up until the present. And so you can take the database and separate it, for example, into two piles, the early pile and the late pile. And if you do that, and if you look at, for example, MMR, the MMR vaccine, you find that um, many uh, reactions that are typical of MSG toxicity, monosodium glutamate, people who are allergic to MSG have these same reactions as show up much more frequently in the, in the late data compared to the early data. So what I think is going on is that the glutamate, there is glutamate in the MMR vaccine. It's part of the nutrient that's used to feed the live virus. They use this gelatin that contains glutamate. Glutamate is a neurotoxin, and ordinarily the body knows how to convert glutamate to glutamine, and that detoxes it. However, glyphosate chelates manganese, which is essential for that enzyme. So what happens is with glutamate uh, in the vaccine does not get converted to glutamine and becomes toxic and goes into the brain because glyphosate causes the leaky brain. It causes the, the uh, disrupted gut microbes, and disrupted mi- gut microbes leads to a leaky gut barrier and a leaky brain barrier. So all of that together results in the MMR vaccine, uh, the glutamate that's injected with the vaccine going to the brain and causing reactions that are a characteristic of glutamate toxicity in the brain. So that's an example of synergistic action between glyphosate and MMR. The same thing, a similar thing goes on with the aluminum. And one thing that really disturbs me is with the vaccines is that there's a lot and a growing amount of aluminum in the vaccines. For example, the HPV vaccine, which is for Gardasil. This is a recent vaccine. They've really been pushing it on the teenage girls and even the boys as a, a way to protect from, supposedly protect from uh, cervical cancer. They have not shown that this vaccine actually protects from cervical cancer, and I suspect they're going to find out that it doesn't. Luckily for them, you won't know until many decades later because they're giving it to a teenager to protect her from cervical cancer when she's 50, 60 years old, you know. So they can't wait 50, 60 years to see if it's working or not. They just rely on indirect evidence because it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's suppressing these viruses that they think are causative in cervical cancer. But what happens is that with the MMR, it's quite interesting because they began with a... Um, a vaccine that had, I believe it was, three different variants of this uh, HPV virus uh, in it and then uh, and it had a, a, a dangerous form of aluminum in the vaccine as well, which they use that as an adjuvant to make the vaccine take, you know, makes, makes your immune system get more upset when it sees the vaccine because of the aluminum that's in there. Um, but that, of course, also means that it's a toxic exposure. Um, so they had the um, three... Uh, strains of this HPV in the original vaccine. And now they have a new vaccine called, I think it's Gardasil 
8 or garter cell 9, I'm forgetting exactly the number, but it's, it might be nine different variants of this, nine different strains instead of three different strains of this HPV. So what's happening is that when they immunize you against three strains, those are the three most common ones, they kill those off. And then what happens is these other strains suddenly start getting much more prevalent. So they discover, oh, my gosh, there's these other six now that are causing trouble because we suppressed these three. So we have to make a more complex vaccine that has more of these different strains of this virus. And on top of that, twice as much aluminum. So the new Gardasil has twice as much aluminum as the old Gardasil. Gardasil is a very potent vaccine. I've compared its uh, reactions to um, to the reactions to other vaccines these kids are getting, and it's much more potent in terms of causing things like coma and seizures, you know, and even death. So um, I am very uh, disturbed about that particular vaccine. I don't think that they've shown that it actually does something good, and meanwhile we know that it's doing something bad. And it's doing it synergistically with glyphosate because glyphosate chelates the aluminum and carries it into the brain and drops it off there in the brainstem. And I have a, a paper about that that, I, that I've written with colleagues uh, discussing how that how that happens, about uh, aluminum, glyphosate carrying aluminum into the brain and dropping it off there in the acidic environment. On the consumer side, uh, I'm wondering how, you know, we know aluminum's toxic. We know that heavy metals are toxic. You know, this is on the consumer side. Most people know that these metals are toxic and build in the body over time, but why would companies put together these vaccines and things knowing that these elements are toxic? Why would they put them in there? I, I, I don't understand. It's a very good question, and I would ask that question too. I mean, obviously, the aluminum is there for good reason because it makes your immune system uh, react much more strongly than it would otherwise react. So if they didn't put the aluminum in, then the vaccine would not be nearly as effective in its job of actually immunizing you against that disease. So they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because the aluminum, unfortunately, has been approved. So once something gets approved, it's very difficult to get it unapproved. And so they could be trying to play around with something else that's less toxic, but they're not doing that because they've already got approval for the aluminum. It's the fault of the government that they approved uh, putting these, these toxic chemicals into the vaccines. They did not do adequate research to make sure that they were safe. Okay, we're aluminum, gonna... When you eat aluminum, very little of it, I mean, if you have a healthy gut barrier, very little of the aluminum actually gets into your body because your gut barrier can keep it out. Of course, if your gut's not healthy, more will get in. But when you inject it with a vaccine, 100% of it gets in. That's okay, excuse me, Stephanie. We're going to take a short break. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be okay. right back. Weston A. Price Foundation provides accurate information on nutrition and health. Find out why butter is a health food, what's wrong with modern soy products, and why good health is found in the wise food traditions of our ancestors. Visit our informative and fascinating website at www.westonaprice.com. Victory Nutrition International is a company that developed with the vision of truly transforming lives. Our liquid, multivitamin, and mineral is unlike any other on the market today. Designed by seasoned professionals using the latest proprietary technology, it is the only supplement that delivers more than 100% nutrition directly into your cells and changes cells in just five minutes. Most of us are not consuming the nutrition we need, which contributes to degeneration, deterioration, decay, premature aging, and disease. Please visit vnilife.com forward slash whole healthy living and order your sample today. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Transformational healing includes energy medicine, as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Whole Healthy Living with Sharon Brennan. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to wholehealthylivingradio at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Stephanie, I'm curious, what is leaky brain? I haven't heard that terminology before. Um, The brain ordinarily has a really tight barrier that keeps a lot of things out. So toxic uh, chemicals that get in the blood don't actually make it past what's called the blood-brain barrier into the brain. So the brain knows it has to keep itself safe from the exposure to these toxins. And what happens uh, with... uh, when you have a disrupted gut, gut microbes and you get an inflammatory gut, you get a leaky gut barrier, and then those microbes actually communicate with the brain. It's a really fascinating um, communication system between the brain and the gut microbes. They, some people have called the gut the second brain, you know, and, and that's partly the, the microbes, but also the, um, the gut itself has, a, has almost like a, its own brain system. Lots of communication between the gut and the brain. That's because the brain really uh, listens to what the gut is what's happening in the gut and helps to dictate how the brain works. But when you have a leaky gut barrier, you also end up with a leaky brain barrier. And so toxic chemicals that would normally be kept out are able to get past that barrier and into the brain and cause damage to the neurons. Hmm. Behavior issues, mental health issues, I would imagine. Yes, right. Are caused from the glyphosate in the leaky brain. Yes, that's right. You get glutamate and aluminum and glyphosate and formaldehyde and, and uh, ammonia. All those, all those things are going to cause trouble in the brain. And many, and many toxic metals, I mean, lots of things, will get in and cause trouble um, with a leaky brain barrier. Again, I think detoxification is the key. Yes, that, right. You know, I think that's going to be... I, I remember many years ago when the big push was that water was going to be a big industry. And I really feel like now detoxification and cleansing Mm -hmm. is going to be a huge industry because we can't let these chemicals reside in our bodies. Right, and we've been accumulating them. We've been accumulating them over time, so it becomes worse and worse with every year of your life. It becomes harder and harder to get rid of them. So we're going to have to find ways, as you say, to, to cleanse. Right. You develop a burden, and once you exceed that burden, mm-hmm. and your and your cup spills, let's just say, you have to, you know, recreate a baseline or deal with the diseases. Right, and of course, it becomes harder and harder as your body becomes sick because your body's natural defenses are falling apart. Right, and it, it truly is amazing. We do have amazing innate processes within our body, um, and. 
you know, it's when when you have toxicity, they can't kick in. And when you're malnourished, they can't kick in. And, right. you know, thus the uh, premise of disease. Yes. All right. Sulfate and, deficiency. Oh, go yeah, ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. No, I was just going to add one more thing, which is bone broth. I do encourage people to drink bone broth because it's very, very important to get adequate minerals in your body. And I don't like to recommend mineral supplements because it's very tricky to get the right balance of the different minerals. You can get too much of one and it will interfere with with your reception of a different one. So if they get out of balance, you get in trouble. So it's better to just take an organic chicken. We do this regularly. We buy a whole chicken. We use the meat for different chicken dishes. And then the carcass we throw into the water and we cook it like Sunday afternoon for three or four hours and get all the nutrient out of the bone marrow and into the broth. So this ends up with a very nice balance of different minerals in the I water. I do that. I do that as well. And uh, then I jar it up and put it in the freezer. But not only do I do it with chicken, but I do it with bone, uh, beef bones. Yes, and it's good with I any let, kind of bone. I let them simmer for days, like three oh, days. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. That's probably even better. <laughs> good. Yeah. I'm glad I brought that up. You clearly know about that one. Loaded with minerals, though, and a great, great, you know, if you can keep that, um, make stews, you can, anything yes, that exactly. requires a liquid, you can put that in. Right. Any recipe that requires a liquid, you can put that in and know that you're getting minerals. So I agree, that's a great way versus a supplement to get a natural. And I think it's very important, too, that people understand that it's from, the, or that they use uh, organic, grass-fed, yes. pastured animal bones, not USDA, exactly. because they're not going to be healthy. You're not well, going to get the fact, minerals. Yeah. Right, and glyphosate goes into the bone marrow, so that's really scary. Monsanto showed that in their early studies. Hmm. Sulfate deficiency and transpared sulfate transport. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, so that's my that's my passion. <laughs> that's where I started, actually, learning about sulfate and the importance of sulfate in the body. And I had, um, you know, and I had been studying for several years and recognizing that we are very deficient in sulfate before I discovered uh, glyphosate. And once I looked at what glyphosate does, I realized that glyphosate can explain the sulfate deficiency very, very nicely. And um, so this all really made sense to me. And sulfate is a sleeper because very few people talk about it and very few people are aware of its importance in the body. It's a very tricky uh, molecule because it's, its um, feature, one of its big features, is that it gels water. It turns water into jello. You know, you know, if you if you make gelatin desserts, you just put a little bit of powder into the water and you let it sit. Um, it turns hard, and you know it's mostly water, yet it's hard, which is very strange. It's a kind of a fourth phase of water that's gelled water, and that's the kind of water that makes up most of your body. That's why you know we have 98% of our molecules are water in our body. But we're not a puddle of water, and the reason is because of this gelled water. So very, very important to uh, maintain your water in a gelled state. And so sulfate's not the only anion that does it, but it's one of the most important ones, in my opinion. So the body actually attaches sulfate, for example, all over the, the, um, the blood vessels. All the blood vessels are lined with sulfate that's stuck into the blood vessel wall, which causes the water along the edge of the vessel to turn into jello. And that makes for a very slick barrier for the red blood cells to just slide right through the capillary with almost no resistance. So it makes it very easy for the blood to flow. And um, it also, uh, it's called um, an exclusion zone. It's, it's a technical term by the people who research this structured water, meaning that it, it keeps out everything. It keeps out all the, all the components that are in the blood. So it makes for very pure water along the edge of the vessel. So you try to transport goods inside the blood vessel, but you don't want them to just leak out randomly in random places. You want to control what you bring in. And these molecules that contain the sulfate have been very cleverly designed in the biological system to be able to grab and bring in exactly those things that they want and then to keep out the things they don't want. So it's very, very important to maintain the sulfate in all, lining all the vessels of the blood uh, to maintain healthy blood flow and to maintain healthy delivery of nutrients to the cells and to keep things out that the cells don't want. So it's really, really important. Sulfate is very interesting because if you just let free sulfate into the blood, it will gel it. And the blood, the tricky thing about the body is that the blood has to be liquid. So you've got this situation where you want all the tissues in your body to be jello but you don't want the blood to be jello. You want the blood to be liquid. So you can't just throw 
free sulfate into the blood because it will gel it. So what's happened is the body has come up with these clever mechanisms of transporting sulfate by attaching it to certain special molecules. And all these molecules have a ring structure, and the ring is able to disperse the negative charge and keep the sulfate from gelling the blood. So these these molecules, there's two very big classes of molecules that transport sulfates, and they are the sterols, which includes cholesterol and vitamin D and all the sex hormones, and cortisol, which is the stress hormone, and also DHEA sulfate. All of these sterols transport sulfate. And then the other class is these aromatic amino acids, which are the product of the shikimate pathway that glyphosate disrupts. So, And then their derivatives, which are all the neurotransmitters. So such as I mentioned before, melatonin and serotonin and uh, melanin and uh, thyroid hormone, all of, dopamine, all of these really, really important neurotransmitters are shipped in the blood with a sulfate attached to them. And I believe that this whole mechanism is, a, is designed to transport not just the neurotransmitter, but also the sulfate. So when those things are deficient, sulfate doesn't get transported and sulfate becomes deficient. And once sulfate's deficient, then the blood is in really big trouble. You get into, you see so many elderly people today suffering from walking a tightrope between hemorrhaging and blood clots, you know, and they're taking Coumadin and they're worried about hemorrhage. They're just, um, they're, 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 they can't control those extremes of hemorrhaging and blood clots, and that's because their blood vessels are not healthy. They're not able to keep them sealed. So they have to release these, these clot-forming materials to try to plug the holes to prevent the hemorrhages, and then you get into trouble with both of those. Um, really serious problems with the elderly today in America. And then I have a whole story about heart disease, because I believe that heart disease is actually caused by a deficiency in cholesterol sulfate. That's the sulfated form of cholesterol, which is a really, really important molecule, I think, for health, not just for the sulfate, but also for the cholesterol. And cholesterol is incredibly uh, essential to our cells, especially the muscles and the brain. I know. I preach that in all of my shows. But, Stephanie, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. I really look forward to having you back again. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Whole Healthy Living. Please join Sharon Brennan again next Friday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great weekend of clean, whole, healthy living. And we'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.